Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Kevin, where is everyone? Everyone who? Pete, Neil, Molly. What do you know? What did you say to Molly? Just the truth. What Pete knew. And Neil. That you're a goddamn cancer. No, 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 this does not happen to me, not from my wife. No! Allison, without me, you will have nothing, because I will fucking destroy you. Do your worst. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight, we're discussing this series finale of Kevin Can Fuck Himself. The episode is called Allison's House. It was written and directed by series creator Valerie Armstrong. Just a community note, if you want to continue the conversation, please join us on Facebook and Kevin Can F Himself fans. <sighs> Finales, Mike. <laughs> Series finales. So I, before we get into the episode, uh, we need to do a little housekeeping here. Yes. W- one is about series finales in general. If you guys have ever listened to anything that Caroline and I have covered, our series finales always come out a few days late, at least after it, the thing airs. <laughs> That's generous, Mike. A few days after. <laughs> we usually are angsting for a while. One, it's our last bite at the apple to get whatever our thoughts are about the show. I think we take extra time to digest how the thing not only wrapped up, but how it hit us. Because so much of, of series finales, all finales, you know, season finales, but series finales, the show's not coming back again, right? So you really want to understand internally, how do you feel about the show? Did it hit it? And then also on top of the regular analysis that you put into the episode. Episode. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on with series finales. Am I missing am I missing anything from the general reasons that we take forever to do series finales? I would say also that we get very attached to characters. And so it's really hard to let whole series groups of characters go and be like, this is the last time we're really going to ever really talk about them. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a big like heartstring pull for us. And we like podcasting together, right? And so it like it sucks to come to an end of one. I mean, just to, just to pull the curtain back. So this show was 16 aired hours of television. We probably spent I don't know, probably about 200 hours in <laughs> editing prepping, watching episodes, watching episodes again, making outlines, taking notes, talking about the episode. So that's one thing. Yeah, I just think it's impossible to allow an entire series to simmer in your brain and in your heart and be able to turn it around very quickly. You know, if you do that, okay, fine. But then you've like lost the, the simmer completely. Yeah. And then so there was an additional wrinkle in this one, because as we were getting ready to sit down and record the finale, uh, my mom passed away. 
And if you have listened to podcasts, uh, Caroline and I now for almost three years have have done a myriad of podcasts together and, and, uh, and us and other podcast hosts. It comes up pretty frequently. I had a very complicated relationship with my parents or I have a very complicated relationship with my parents and my family. Finding out my mom passed away, who I have not spoken to in a long time, hit me out of nowhere. I, I, it was, it was unexpected news. It really, it really blindsided me and it, it was, it blindsided me in a way because it forced me to deal with some emotions and feelings that I wasn't ready to deal with or think about or talk about. She's now passed without having resolved many of those or any of those issues. And that's been difficult to deal with and to process. And, and I think you, Caroline, and, 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 and a bunch of our listeners who have reached out and sent DMs and just been there and been very good shoulders to, well, cry on for certain, but just to just to lean on and to be understanding. It's still hard. I'm a couple of weeks on now from it, and I'm still processing it. You know, like I said, I hadn't spoken to her in a long time, but she was my mom. And I miss her and I loved her despite all of our issues. That's the real reason this is coming out so, so late. Well, here's the thing. We have a very ironclad rule at Pod Clubhouse, which is family first around here. So 100 percent, we always, always are going to deal with our family stuff first um, and then come talk to you guys as our second family. So we really appreciate right. all of your patience and understanding. Um, but, you know, family comes first. Real life stuff has to, has yeah. to come first. So I kind of cocooned up and I uh, I was having a little bit of a rough time kind of processing and, and dealing with things. So it, it's been it's been a time for me. And, and this episode was a heavy emotional episode, too. It wasn't like wrapping up a super funny light show where, you know, it actually was more cathartic to go talk about it. This, this is a heavy show to deal with in, in the best of weeks. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it's been hard. Um, I, I want to segue that into some of our comments. And, uh, you know, at the end of every episode, I always pimp out that please go leave a five star review for us. It helps the show. It was. It made me smile because there are a couple of of great reviews here that, if you indulge me, Caroline, I'd like to take a second to read. One is from Pauline at eight. Uh, Pauline ATL five star review. I hope you two are okay. Where is the finale? Looking forward to your final wrap up. Now that is a very nice human way to inquire about where the finale is, because we get it. There are a lot of people who listen to the show. This show has been a top 100 podcast every single week that uh, Kevin Can Fuck Himself has aired. We cannot thank you guys enough for listening to this show and and the passion about where episodes are. You know, Brian Howe reached out asking about where the episode was, you know, and <laughs> and sent, sent me a very nice message on the side when I told him about my mom. You know, so Pauline from ATL, thank you for the five star review and thank you for being a human and, and uh, inquiring about if we're not we're okay i'm a little worried that the way that you set this up that i I know you well enough to know that the next one has to be a non-human way to respond yes the next one is a non-human way and here's the thing we put out hundreds and hundreds of hours of content and we strive to do a very good job we're very deliberate we're very thoughtful we put a lot into it me and michelle what about the finale one star review To you monsters, Mia and Michelle, I don't know what you do for your job, but I hope and I pray that no one ever comes and gives you the equivalent of a one-star review because you were a little bit late on your job, a job that we don't get paid for. We do this because we love to do this. And if your gripe is 
The finale was weeks ago and they still haven't covered it. Maybe something happened. So not give them a one star review. Maybe just inquire at the Facebook group, which we tell you to reach out to us. We're all over social media. You could send us a DM. Hey, I've gotten a ton of DMs from people in the last three weeks, last month, asking about whether we're okay, about where the finale is. A one star review that tanks our rating and has actual real world implications is not the right way to go about it. So me and Michelle, I hope you are satisfied about why the finale has been delayed. I hope you go and change your your rating from a one-star review or delete it altogether. But there were two <laughs> other nice five-star reviews that I do want to read, though. And oh then we can my. get on to the episode. <laughs> okay. Okay. Some breaths. This show has been a, a therapeutic session for us throughout these two seasons, right? So we're so it shouldn't surprise you that we're having some big feelings right now, right? Support women for real. Five star review. Glad for coverage. I was glad to find someone talking about this show. I love this concept for a show, and I love your analysis. Wish we could have got more. I agree. Support women for real. I wish we could have gotten more too. I wish we were talking here about season three coming up on the show. It breaks my heart, Caroline. I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think. I, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think we would all have loved more of this show, and I'm very bummed that this is going to be our final time talking about it. Last one, and then we can get on with the episode. Car Black, five-star review. Great insight and interviews. I didn't find this podcast until halfway through the second season. I listened to the applicable episodes and then started Kevin Can F himself all over again, concurrently listening to the podcast. I am noticing so much I didn't notice the first time because of podcast discussions bringing those issues and details to my attention. A great accompaniment to a great show. Car Black, that's why we do it. We do it for that reason. We nitpick <laughs> through things. We bring up things. We ask questions that maybe are obvious, but not everyone listens or watches to the same degree in detail. We appreciate that you're listening to the podcast and going through the show because that's how we do it. This is the conversation Caroline and I are having off mic, on mic, with other people in our Facebook group. To the side of Mike, all over Mike. Yeah, all over Mike. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you for your patience. This, uh, I'm sure this episode is going to go long. I, Caroline knew better to even ask if we were going to keep it to an, under an hour today. <laughs> yeah, no, this is going to be a spill your guts episode. So We're 12 and a half minutes in and we that. haven't done a damn thing. <laughs> Yet, so you know what yes of course we did first of all it was really important to set up why why we're here when we are and right. it's really important to, for you guys as listeners to have a little bit of insight into our mindsets where we are in our personal lives what's going on a little bit so that when we're talking about some of these things there's some context because that matters i'm really glad that we're getting a chance to do this i'm really happy i think you guys should really be proud of mike because this is not information that he would have shared with you guys i'm gonna say 10 episodes ago uh he wasn't he wasn't gonna tell you his personal business so look at us like growing and sharing as a whole group here I feel like we've really bonded <laughs> I, I feel very i feel very grown <laughs> Just a reminder, you guys, if you haven't watched this episode, we don't know what you're doing here right now, honestly. But if you haven't watched this episode, get out of here. Go watch the episode, please. We don't want to spoil this for you. Go watch what Valerie Armstrong, what did you just see? And then come on over and we'll, we'll talk about what we think, what we saw. One last cathartic thing before we get going. <laughs> okay. For those for those monsters out there. Oh, you. <laughs> Fuck you. <sighs> Feels good. <laughs>
God damn it! <laughs> All right, you you mentioned Valerie just now, and I think it's important. I, I think it's important. Let's talk a little bit about Valerie and the show. Going all the way back to the beginning of this season, we actually finally got to talk to Valerie. So one of the things that we I, I asked her about when we spoke was about the announcement that the show was going to end after season two, which came up while they were still breaking stories and and just starting production on season two, and how it affected the story. She said that they had to redo the last three episodes. I believe it was the last three episodes that, you know, they had to rewrite them and they had to change the ending because she had a story that was going to go on and was going to continue on into season three. Some people in watching this episode probably noted some pacing issues, uh, some things that even if it didn't come out in a bad way, that they would have probably wanted to see more. I think people probably wanted to see Allison maybe in her her runaway life maybe a little bit more just to get the comparison sake, maybe to see Sam and Patty having to get on with their life a little bit more in, you know, without Allison around, really maybe dig into more of the the bad direction that the Tammy Patty relationship was going to go down though. I think they did a great job of actually setting that up. And I think this episode makes a lot of sense with what we had seen, but we would have gotten even more of it. So at the end of the day, the show did a fantastic job of wrapping up the stories and, and ending the arcs that it needed to while leaving us with the idea that Patty and Allison were about to start a new arc of their life, a new, a whole new chapter of their life that unfortunately we're not going to get to see. But I felt very confident as the credits began to roll and Shout Sister Shout was playing on the soundtrack that their journey was, their new journey, their next journey was just about to start, uh, you know, hand in hand, literally. How did you feel the show handled the wrap up and the end of the story? Well, we know from interviews and from your conversation with Valerie that they did have to rejigger the the season, basically, that they had they had the knowledge that they were going to have to end the show at the end of season two. And so things had to get moved around and things had to get dropped and shortened and that type of thing. So we have the explanation behind why things seem to be, you know, kind of, you know, abbreviated. I felt like there were conversations that could have gone longer. There was there were sections of the show that we could have sat on. And really just like hashed it out more that turned out to just be individual scenes. You know, it was kind of like boom, boom, boom. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly that watching Allison have her new life was, you know, this is this is like escapism TV for people, right? Like they want to watch her build her new life. There's some part of that where we're living vicariously through her. And, you know, for anyone who who is rebuilding their life or starting over or doing anything, there was, there was actual like logistics, just the pragmatic, what would be the steps to, in order to do this? I really think people are going to kind of use this as like a little bit of like a guidebook as to like, can I restart my life? What would that look like if I were to start my life over again? So missing those little, those little steps just because of time, you know, and I understand we just didn't have that time. I think people would have been really, really interested to see how it went and get even more about like her getting a job and how these different things fit together. Now, they did a great job, I think, overall of making us feel like it kind of doesn't matter because it didn't click together. You know, it didn't make her feel more satisfied in this new life. And maybe that's all we have to feel is that you can run away, you can get all the new stuff and call yourself a new name and do all the new things. But it's not going to get rid of your old problems, your old baggage. You're still going to have to deal with that at some point. 
Right. No matter how successful you are at your job now at play again, Pam's consignment <laughs> and how much boss Randy likes you, how much coworker Laura thinks you're a good person and maybe wants to set you up with her brother, the handyman, no matter how much of that life, I think it was clear in this episode. And I think the show did a great job of getting across the board. She wanted to come home. Remember, she says to Patty before she has to go away in order to save Patty, she says, I don't want to leave. Like she had already decided before she had to leave that she didn't want to. So it makes a lot of sense that she was always coming home, that she always wanted to figure out the way to get back to, to, to Patty and to Sam and, and to, into this town and pick up her life again. Have so. you ever felt like that where like you think in your head, like, man, I'm ready to go. And you, and you really are ready to go. Maybe it's from a party. Maybe it's from whatever. And then someone tells you you have to go and suddenly you're like, whoa, I don't want to go then if you're just going to like tell me I have to go. Like right. there's something about that, that little flip of the switch where I, I'm real quick to dig my heels and be like, I'll go when I say I want to go. Even though part of me was like, I'm ready to go. I was ready to go a while ago. But, you know, you just don't want to be you don't want to feel run out. You want to feel like you left on your own terms. I think you're raising a great point that I think people feel throughout their life from time to time. But this show in particular did a great job because this finale actually bookends to the pilot. And and Caroline and I did this as a thought experiment. You guys should do it, too. I, I would highly recommend it anyway. Go back and watch the pilot episode because there are things in that episode that resonate all the way through to this finale. And on this point... Uh, there's two scenes that come to mind, actually. Allison has run into Sam, right? She's gone into Bev's diner and she has found Sam, this boy she dated and, and canoodled with back in high school, has come back from his time in New York and wherever else he was. And he's he has his wife, Jenna Ninnan. It's the first time we meet Sam. She says to him, you got out. Why did you come back? And he says, this place has a way of pulling you back to it. I think that is a huge resonator for where Allison winds up, because at the end of the pilot episode, where she has learned about the fact that her bank account has been raided to zero by Kevin, it's that scene that takes place on the porch, where the finale ends, the end of episode one of the pilot, also takes place on the porch. Allison says that if she can just get out of here, if she could just start over somewhere else, she can do everything right. The it, grass is greener on the other side for Allison. If she could just get wherever there is. Throughout season one, there's that one episode where she has like this 1950s-esque black and white uh, daydream with her and Kevin in whatever new place that they're going to go move to, right? That's a whole thing in season one, where the first couple episodes that she wants to move, right? She wants to go wherever they're not now here we are come full circle at the in the finale and she's right back to she is now sam something about this place drew her back so i think it's a great character arc is that so often in life we find ourselves back where we started my parents have a thing that that they moved away from their hometown a small little town in pennsylvania and uh, they have a thing that if you're buried back in your hometown did you ever really leave in the first place no matter how young you left initially but if you if you get buried back there then and you just you never really left, did you? And there's a huge part of Allison, obviously, that this is she's left a big chunk of her heart in Patty there. I really think it's that sense of unfinished business, you know, like, do you want to run away from it? Or do you do you really want to just get that closure? 
Now, not everybody has the option to do what she did here. You know, this took a lot of guts, yes, but also this is not advisable for everyone to go running back to a situation in order to feel like you have the you have that closure because some people are, you, you will never get it and it is not safe for you to go back. Or you may be dragged back. I mean, a la Diane and what Chuck did with her that we only hear about. We didn't get to see how he brought her back from South Carolina, but we know she came back. And she makes reference in this episode with Neil. I already tried leaving. Like, I can't fucking do it. I already tried that and it was horrible. Yeah, not everyone gets to come back on their own terms or not everyone gets out to begin with. There was another callback from the pilot that I wanted to talk about. And I was really, I was going to save this for the very end, but we're here. So let's talk about it now. and Allison and how they end up in the pilot episode in that same scene that takes place on the porch at the very end of the episode Patty says to her maybe you're insane but you're not alone that I think we probably talked about and I think we definitely felt about well Patty like you've you've not been a friend to Allison this whole time right you've been one of Neil and Kevin's posse and you've not you've not played well with Allison and you've been in on the jokes on her so it's weird for you to say you're not alone now but here we are fast forward 16 hours and a full year in the show's timeline and you have this clip once he finally did something you wanted him to I didn't want this not anymore I want to stay Let's die alone together. Let's die alone together. At the end of the day, she may be insane, and but in fact, she was not alone. That's powerful words. Let's die alone together. I, I think that's a very powerful statement on where these two are individually, where they are together, where they are commitment-wise. At least as far as friendship goes, these two have now set a foundation in stone of friendship that feels like it can withstand whatever may come at it. I agree with you. See, this is like the most complicated portion of the show. Mm-hmm. I That's think. why I was going to do it last. <laughs> and so, yeah, you did steady through me right into the deep end. Cold, fully clothed, and cold water and all. You know, Mike, I feel like everyone brings their own expectations to this show, including the creator and the writer. For Valerie, I know we have a clip that says what she intended this show to be. Ironically, I know it seems like a show about a toxic marriage. It's not. To me, it's a show about two women. They've been sitting next to their secret best friend for 10 years and discounted them. And so the show, to me, is actually about how that relationship can save both of their lives. Okay, so this is tricky stuff here because every single time someone has asked me, what is Kevin can fuck himself about? I say, you know, those sitcom shows where you have like the husband and the wife and the husband's super goofy and, you know, she's always just like the butt of the joke. Well, this is like when she walks into the kitchen and it turns into a drama and you actually find out what's really going on and it sheds light on who are they really laughing at? What is the joke really about? And what is that hilarious, I'm using my air quotes, goofy guy like when those bright lights aren't on and suddenly, you know, things are a lot more dark. For me, I never mentioned the female friendship part when I do my, like, elevator pitch of the show. Mm -hmm. However, as a viewer... 
I am waiting for the Patty and Allison scenes. Like every time I sit down, I'm like, all right, get through the, you know, the sitcom Kevin biz. Let's find out what's going on with Patty and Allison this week. She is 100% right that at the end of the day, the heart of the show is about these two women. And also you have this really unique and fascinating package that it's wrapped in where it includes this toxic marriage. But I think you can say because they included the mom in only that one tiny scene of Allison's that the, a toxic relationship doesn't have to be, you know, an, in a marriage scenario. It could be your parent. You know, it could be some other relationship. It could be your sibling like we have with Patty and Neil. It is important to like expand the definition of what this relationship really meant. But I don't think that you and I are going to be able to give like a good definition of what Patty and Allison and what that relationship really was, because I think it's going to be different for every single person, depending on what expectations are for those two. Is that I mean, fair? It is. I've been thinking about this a lot because because art is subjective and how people take in art is so dependent upon their own experience because it is the filter through which we interpret things. And you can listen to Valerie talk about what she thinks the show is about. You could talk about, you could listen to Greg DiGregorio, who was the showrunner, talk about what he thought the show was about. You can listen to Anna DeCosa, you know, think, you know, say what she thinks their relationship is at the end. If you go back to our interview that we did with Anna towards the end of the season, as part of our finale coverage, you know, I asked her, I asked her about that and she gave her thoughts on it. But at the end of the day, and I was thinking about this in relation to movies and unrelated to the show. Just because Valerie says the show is about female friendship and is not about toxic marriage doesn't mean that you have to take it that way. This can be a queer love story. This can be a story of one-sided, unrequited love. This could be a story about female friendship. This could be a story about Neil getting out of his toxic relationship with Kevin and maybe now being propelled to clean himself up and be a better man so that he is worthy of Diane's love with what she, with the ultimatum that she kind of gives to him or the challenge she sets for him if they are to be together. Maybe you're an older person and your whole thing is just fucking, you just want to go hang with Pete and Lorraine down in their condo in Florida. And, and your thing is about how fathers and sons interact with each other. Art is subjective, and no one can tell you what this show is about. You have to decide for that on your own based on what you saw and how you take it in. But you also probably can't say that this show was A, B, or C for anyone else, though, either. And that's the trick of it. We all want to be... We No one wants to be told what to think themselves, but that also means that we can't go telling other people what the thing is either. So here's the deal, though. We're not going to cop out on you because it'd be super easy for us to just be real intellectual about it and just say, so there you go. Y'all draw your own conclusions. I don't we're not going to do that. We're Caroline and Mike. We're going to tell you what's up. We're going to tell you how this affected us and why it's important. And and I'm, I'm going to jump right in because you already threw me into the deep end. So I'm going to just start doing my like belly flop 
For me, I think it's a lot about patterns. The idea that Allison was growing up in a household where she had these people where she was the butt of the joke. They showed mom. They laid a really good foundation for what was going on there and how she just would kind of bounce along to people. We know she was in a relationship with Sam and even Sam admitted himself throughout the series that he is also a Kevin on some level. And then she, you know, so easily is picked up by Patty and then pushed into with the Kevin relationship and everything just kind of flows. And watching the pattern and seeing that like she went from different relationship to different relationship that doesn't wasn't always a marriage where she really never spoke up for herself. She never asked herself what she wants, never realized what role she was playing in that relationship. You know, for lack of a better word, I, I want to say she was just living without any type of like mindfulness, right? Like, what am I doing? What part am I playing? What choice am I making? Or am I just putting my head down and sort of going through the motions of everything? And she had trauma, you know, the death of her dad and, and obviously life with Kevin seemed to be so chaotic and so just like get through muddle through to the next day, which we talked about how there was no real like clear cut like timeline all the time. We couldn't really tell how much time had passed between episodes uh, for the most part, not in this one, but for the most part, it didn't matter. It was same shit, different day for her. There was that total feel of how are you supposed to stop a cycle that you've been living since day one? For me, that's the nutshell of this entire show. It can be that you need to find a friendship to anchor you to be able to break free of other things. And that's what I think Allison does here. You know, she actually finds somebody who listens to her and they can start building some sort of more honest, more give and take type of relationship that she needs. But overall, I mean, there's so many relationships that are negative and and difficult for her to deal with. But they did a great job of showing, like, say, like Patty getting, you know, pushed around by who she can date, whether it's by her own person who's like, you know, drug dealing, um, like Nick's mom, right? Like she's drug dealing too. And Nick's mom can like tell her, like, you shouldn't be dating this person or that person like how we let other people decide things for us how we don't stand up for ourselves and stopping those patterns for me how that's what my internal takeaway was find your anchor find your people and be yourself and stick up for yourself that's a very good take i agree with all of that i think the show and i think the show did a great job of showing us the important need to take stands against people who are the kevins in our life also it's very important that kevin doesn't necessarily look like kevin mcroberts does in this show i think kevin's come in all forms i think i think that's the genius of that flashback scene with perry gilpin as as allison's mom like you said that's a pattern this was a female kevin who who was uh, an influence on allison and i don't want to say groomed her but but uh, acclimated to her to the kind of life in which Kevin McRoberts would eventually walk. She never really had a chance, right? Because of that upbringing and, and having lost her father, who sounds like he was a person who was a non-Kevin, losing that voice left her in a place where she couldn't escape. Really, it almost feels like a, like a fait accompli. It was always going to be a Kevin that came into her life romantically because of that upbringing. I think that's important. One of the things that this show was for me was that people are complex. There's a discussion in here, oddly enough, between Allison and Laura, who hers her co-worker at the consignment shop, about whether or not everyone has good in them. And Laura says that, no, not everyone has good in them. There's some people that are just, you know, flat out bad. I think this show was interesting because it showed that we are sometimes Kevin and sometimes we are the one who Kevin is kicking around. 
And that's important because I don't think we always recognize in our own lives when we are being the Kevin. I wrote Allison Hard in this show for all of her Kevin-esque qualities that she would maybe put on to Patty. Uh, Ellen Courtney's out there. I know she's jumping up and down uh, listening to saying, yes, Mike, you did you did beat up on Allison a lot uh, during this show. And, but I think I was justified in doing that, though. I, I think just because Allison herself was abused, she also abused. But here's the thing. All of the characters in this show were Kevin's at some point, and they were victims of Kevin's at some point, except for Kevin himself. I think he's the only character in the show who really was just one-dimensionally bad. I don't know that there is good in Kevin, <laughs> because even, I think the show went out of its way to show even when he did good things, they always had a Kevin self-interest motive. To that point, it was smart for Valerie to add in Pete because yes. that actually allowed us to see we could imagine a Kevin who was young and being kicked around by Pete being the you know the butt of the joke you know having to go along with hijinks and stuff that he may or may not have wanted to be a part of but at some point you know use the word groomed you know like he he had to go along to get along you know and so that's the way that most people you know muddle through and you and you form your life like that. Now, I don't think he has like the introspection in any sort of way to be able to possibly fix those types of things about himself. But going back to my patterning comment, having Pete there and then also having Allison's mom make her appearance, you really start to understand like people, Kevin's sort of just come out of nowhere, right? We we grow them ourselves. <laughs> and which means you can also prune them from your life and you don't have to give that any sunshine or or water. You can choose to not be a part of that. Pete's exit from the show. It's the last time we see him. Buddy, I said pancakes, not suitcase. <laughs> Kevin, it's time I leave. I've been sticking around because you were in mourning, but it's starting to feel like you're taking advantage. I don't know what you're talking about. This morning you made me tie your shoes because it reminded you of Allison. <laughs> I do bunny ears and she loved Easter so much. <laughs> I guess you just forgot about all that because of your just-on-time-said-Alzheimer's. I do not have... Look, Kevin, Lorraine has a condo down in Florida. We're going to be going there for the winter. It's summer. And all the other seasons. Fine. Go follow that old crone down to Florida. I'll see you for three weeks in February to work on my tan. You think I'm going to tell you the address? Come on. Pete is so interesting, and I wish he's the only character. I remember back in season one, we were so young and naive then. We were convinced that Pete was going to be of the of the boys, the character who came into the single cam uh, first because of his heart troubles and just the the reading the Bible and being at the house. We were convinced that was going to happen, and at the end of the day, he is the only character in the whole show who never entered the single cam world. My only complaint about Pete is that we didn't get more of him, especially towards the end. While I would have liked Pete to had his redemption arc, you know, where he he sees the evil he created in Kevin or the the badness or the Kevinness that he created in Kevin. I would have loved for him to have stuck up for Allison at some point and said something along the lines of leave her alone. You know, when he was taking when when Kevin would take a pot shot at her. But at the end of the day, they introduced Lorraine as the way Pete changed. It wasn't 
for Allison that he would stop being a Kevin, but in fact, it was for Lorraine that he stopped being a Kevin. And and that's smart. And and I think I would have just liked to have seen more of that transformation. I think they did a good job with the screen time, but there's so many stories being covered here in 40 minutes. You can only cover so much. I would have liked to see more of Pete pulling away from Kevin as he moved more towards Lorraine. I have to assume that had we been given a season three, there would have been a lot more room to let Pete's character breathe and and have an opportunity to see that. And I, I do want to point out as as much as, you know, we think he's, you know, maybe being a little less Kevin like to to go on with Lorraine. I mean, he is just going on and, and leeching off of another person like he's going from Kevin's house to now Lorraine's house, um, you know, and he is yes. like walking away from Kevin, like whatever by like he's a user, you know, I mean, he he's going to take advantage of people people and do what he needs to do to make pete happy he is but remember during the blackout episode he was genuinely going to her defense in in a loving way and not out of self-interest he was upset about her her hearing aid he was disgusted at kevin having having destroyed the 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 taken and 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 thrown the the hearing aid and you know he was genuinely looking out for Lorraine against his son there. And I think that was the tipping moment. Yes, he is a user. Yes, he is a leech. Yes, he will probably do bad things because there's there's a there's a con man in him but i think the show with what it did showed us at least he's on a path to being less kevin like and going back to my original point was not everyone is a kevin all the time sometimes we're kevin sometimes we're not kevin and i think they did at least showed us that pete is sometimes not a kevin because in season one i'd say pete is always a kevin in season one he is he is a mastermind pulling kevin's strings a lot in season one i think the softening of pete with the introduction of the lorraine character made us realize oh look even he has some redemption points to him I think he definitely has another side. I'll give you that part. And I love the way that Brian Howe played him and really gave him a lot of heart and made you feel like you wanted to see more of Pete. But Pete is a character... He 100% is going to continue to manipulate his environment, manipulate the people around him. Lorraine is in his self-interest. He they they made a great deal of of emphasis on the fact that he was finally getting sex and finally having this relationship with her. And yes, he was very interested in the hearing aid. And that was a huge part for me uh, to see that change. And also... He has remained that guy who's just like got an angle, you know. Right. So I I think cool that they they didn't have it change into this like Pollyanna situation where he was just like oh suddenly he just woke up and opened his eyes because that would be super unrealistic. But he does have a reason to try some different things and act a little bit differently. He is walking away from Kevin. We are okay with. And also, is that really the best thing for? For Kevin, I don't know. Do you know know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, I don't know. Pete is sort of just like leaving him in a bad spot here. Is he? Is he leaving him in a bad spot, though? Because, I mean, I listen to that clip again. It's, you know, he's like, I've been staying here because you were grieving. But now it's starting to feel like you're taking advantage of me. I agree. This is Pete calling out someone for taking advantage (laughs) of. And for him to be, I mean, they've been pulling apart all season long they right have. and and this didn't come out of nowhere this has been this has been brewing behind the scenes and with little 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 lines here little lines there they've been 
they've been laying the foundation for this scene. Yeah, I, Kevin doesn't need him. Certain people should walk out on Kevin. Kevin does, should not have people around him. Everyone should be walking away from Kevin. And this episode does a great job of showing one by one everyone abandoning Kevin. Pete is really, after Allison, is really the first to go. I love, I loved when he said, you think I'm going to give you the address? Come on. I mean, <laughs> all they had to do was show that he's just not a black and white character. I think they yes. just had to show great with him. And I think they did. Pete exit stage left has a little bit of redemption arc, at least showing us that people are complex, which was my point on what the show was about. Neil, <laughs> Neil ends up being, I think for me, the most difficult character to talk about because I can't forget what he did to Allison or started to do to Allison at the end of season one. But so much of season two was really showing us Neil in his own toxic relationship and his struggles and the the him acting out of what he saw as necessity to not lose Kevin or or being under the yoke of Kevin it, it, it's really complicated. It really fucks you up when you think about it. Like, I don't want to root for Neil. I, I don't want really him to be happy because I think he's a bad guy. But also, I kind of do want to root for Neil and I kind of do want him to get his act together. And I kind of do want him to wind up with Diane at the end of the show. I don't want him to end up with Diane, but I, I mean, I think she was just a stand in, you know, she was, she was a mini anchor for a moment, right. To help him be able to break free of that relationship um, with Kevin. But you're right. Neil is a very complicated character. He's someone who I think is so rooted in trauma and all this tragedy in his life. And he just never grew up. He, he stayed in this immature state where he really needed to have all these caretakers, you know, whether it be his younger sister, Patty, who is taking care of him even kevin in many ways like he would just show up and like when allison pointed out that that at the end of the day kevin was paying for neil's life ah you know like there there were so many caretakers that were that were making neil's life possible that it it was kind of like you know head spinning that it was like wow i mean neil has figured out the system here diane was just another you know little peg here that was going to allow him to continue to act the same way. I hope he walks down that street and keeps walking right out of that town, you know, and, and find some other, I don't, I can't even imagine, but some way to leave some of this tragedy behind and, and start anew. whether that's possible for him. I don't know, because I don't see him doing like any of the true, you know, reflection type work that it would take to really get through it. I would hope he doesn't just drown it all in a bar somewhere. But realistically, that's probably most likely. Definitely feels like he's probably going to go play some Kino right now when he walks yeah. away with his duffel bag. Let, let's play two yep. clips relating to, to Neil. They're, they're one from Patty, one from Diane. This is one of the two stands that Patty takes in this episode. This was a great episode for ending, for closing off Patty's arc because Patty finally finds her inner voice and finally does stand up for herself. And this scene with Neil is a great example of that. One thing. One thing. Jesus, calm down. You spent the last 30 years asking me to do one thing after another, and I've done them. But I don't remember you ever asking me what it is that I want. Fine, what do you want? I want to sit out there and smoke and not worry about what anybody else needs. 
that's the one thing I haven't been doing for you? Jesus, that's pathetic. It's the most I could come up with. But maybe if I could do that, I could figure something else out. But as long as you're here, even that's impossible. Where am I supposed to go? You're 36 years old, Neil. Don't you think it's time you figured that out without me? Really hang on to that last part of it. There's a lot of stuff to pack, unpack there about Patty discovering herself, but let's hold on to that. You're 36 years old. Isn't it time you figured that out without me? Are you drunk? Diane, I need you. When we're together, I feel a lot. And mostly it's good. We could, we could leave together. We could leave together. Who says I want to leave? I mean, I, I tried that once. It, it, it was... It, it's possible. It's possible. Maybe. But, but not with you like this. I haven't had a drink for 212 days. And if, if I was going to go somewhere and start over again, and stuff would have to be different. I can be better. You, you can make me better. It's not my job, Neil. You figure it out, maybe. But I can't do it for you. His two mother figures both telling him in the span of minutes, you figure it out. I can't do it for you. I don't know that Neil's ever been told that before. Certainly not twice. I I hope, I hope that that gets through to him. Do you think he has the skill set? Do you think he has the toolkit to possibly address the stuff that he needs to deal with? Or do you really think this just seems like this is going to, you know, he's going to drown it in a bottle? I think everyone has the capacity to get those skills. The question, I think, is actually, will he? And I feel like, no, he probably won't. He will probably find his next mother figure, his next Diane or his next Patty stand in. But we don't know. Right. I mean, that 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 goodbye, that wordless goodbye between him and Patty at the end of the episode. There's a lot in there. There's a lot. There's a lot being communicated between those two siblings. And I don't know. I don't know if he will do the work like you said I, I i my gut instinct is no so much of this show especially this season we have talked about in so many of the episodes this season this show has delivered characters have received truth that they didn't want to hear from the people that they would least want to hear it from and this is another great example of that being told you have to go do it on your own twice by the two people he would least want to hear that from, his mommy figures. Everyone else was propelled to make changes. And Neil himself, when Allison took him to task for, for you know, living off of Kevin and, and, and how pathetic it is that Patty pays for all of your shit and Kevin pays for whatever else she doesn't pick up, that propelled Kevin. I think that conversation between him and her in the basement at the beginning of the season propelled him to start looking at Kevin differently. I think that all tracks back to receiving truth from someone he didn't want to receive it from propelled him down, pulling away from Kevin. And I think he deserves some credit. If we're going to call it fairly, he's a monster in so many ways. He's a bad guy in so many ways, but he deserves some credit 
from pulling away from Kevin. Even in the beginning of this episode, he drops the ding dong, which is dead joke. He makes that a joke that go that lands flat about Kevin would be better off dead. We'd be better off if, you know, Molly didn't save him from the fridge. You know, he's all joking and smiling, but he leaves and he goes onto the porch and switches to single cam. The smile drops. He scrubs his face. He's just putting on a show. He's just performing right now for Kevin. That all started because he received truth from someone who he didn't want to receive it from, and it propelled him down a path towards change. Maybe he can get his shit together. Maybe he can do it himself because he did figure out a way to start at least getting away from Kevin and looking at it differently. It's hard to do. I mean, I don't want to pat him on the back, but I think I think it would be remiss for us not to give him credit for starting to see Kevin as the user and abuser that he is. I agree with you. I mean, 100%, he finally understood that he was being laughed at, not laughed with. And that was huge. You know, that was huge. He actually heard Allison and he seemed to hear Patty and hear Diane. So there's always some hope. You know that. You know that I'm always all about like, there's still hope. (laughs) It's still good, right? Like somehow something good can come out of this. For him, I don't know if there's just been too much that... I don't know where he would find the support. I hear you about finding the next caretaker and that's fine, but that's just the next enabler. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to find someone and trust someone who is going to be able to be that anchor for him. I'd like to think so. I would hope so. Um, But you have to have a little something to hang on to. I think when you're doing that work, hard to watch. I mean, what do you think about that look between Patty and Neil? I mean, some part of me was like, is this like, Patty, did you set that fire? I, I think I think the internet has the theory that that fire couldn't have naturally spread like it did as fast as it did out of the metal garbage can. So the internet theories that I have read, and it's interesting, you could see where people come up with it, is that Neil went in and assisted that fire. Because remember, he's the one who calls Patty to tell her that the house is on fire. She's at Bev's diner when she finds out. That look and him looking at the house and then looking at her and then looking at the house and then walking away was a wordless, yeah, I did that kind of thing. And like, I fixed the problem. Yeah, I I mean, we know, I mean, you go back to season one and Neil has that line, like the fire calls to me, you know, and fire calls to Kevin and it calls to Neil. It's probably the thing that maybe brings them together the most, maybe, is their love of fire. Definitely the the house goes up like very quickly. And I rewatched the scene a lot about when how that fire does spread. It 100% seems like it has some sort of propellant. I mean, it goes like in a line through the kitchen and through everything as if someone poured alcohol or whatever, probably alcohol, um, and helped it go. But I mean, the, the only time that they show that garbage can, I feel like it's still standing upright. So there is a question of how, no matter how much booze. Like how did po- it jump? Right. Because he does pour a ton of booze in there, which would which wouldn't make it a raging fire in a garbage can but there's a reason why rocky has people singing doo-wop over a burning garbage can in philadelphia like it's a tried and true method for keeping warm is setting shit on fire inside of a metal garbage can because it contains it you know there is something interesting to ask there did neil have some we know he was there right because he's the one who calls her to tell her the fire is at the house there is that wordless exchange he does walk off and the camera stays with neil right it doesn't stay on patty's face it pulls up it does a high crane shot and it follows neil walking down the street as he steps aside for the fire truck that's finally arriving on the block to put out the fire it stays 
case with Neil for a long time. There's a lot of good evidence there to 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 maybe intimate that Neil did have something to do with with spreading that fire, and maybe that's what. Which, that when you is. think about it, I mean, obviously we have that sort of like you know the clip that you just played, where it's like one thing you asked me to do one thing. It's sort of like here's payback for all the favors you ever did for me. Like there you go. You know this is what you wanted. The guy's dead. Right, right, exactly. And this, you know, I mean, at the end you have, and we'll play the clip. Uh, well, we played the clip earlier. He finally did what you asked him to do. And Allison says, I didn't want this. Not anymore. Well, Neil doesn't know that they don't really want him dead anymore. You know, so it makes a little bit of sense. And also, if he's going to be performative and, and try and show Diane that he is going to start taking care of things himself. This would be, could you imagine him like coming to Diane and be like, look what I did. I killed Kevin. Like, oh, goodness. Well, I mean, remember, think about that scene where Kevin, Kevin finds them laughing and finds them making out, laughs as she storms out of there, humiliated. And then we learn, and I didn't include this in the clip because I had to edit it down, but she says she had just paid 500 dollars to kevin to keep him from telling chuck at bowling about the affair that motherfucker charged her five hundred dollars to keep his mouth shut kevin is horrible he is a horrible person well so he's protecting diane as well and with this act you know if he did just basically fan the flames right yeah yeah and there's something in it too because he doesn't act because kevin is passed out right i love i love the whole fire scene because they laid the groundwork for fire all season long there was so much fire foreshadowing that we've been talking about all season long but also finally the the smoke uh, detector batteries not being in there because even if you're in a dead sleep if their smoke detectors are anything like the ones i have in my apartment it will wake you up and make you crap yourself in the dead of night because it is so loud <laughs> it is scary when they go off so but here's here's the one here's the alarm that i'm i'm give a cockeyed look to the way they planned out that tammy leaving mm. patty's house that timing was like way too close to the raging fire. Right. Like there would have been heat coming off of that building, a ton of smells coming off of that house. Well, because you could see the fire everything. dancing. I mean, the way they switched yes. the camera around from her point of view. I mean, she's obviously looking at at Patty's house and not Kevin's, but the fire is dancing in there at that point yes. though. Yes. Maybe she didn't care enough, right? I mean, there's that great scene between her and uh, Kevin. I mean, we can play it now where we're going to talk about between Tammy and Allison. I know we're jumping around, but it's all kind of connected. <laughs> it will eventually connect. This explains why she won't leave Worcester. Like one of those captain's widows waiting for him to come back. Surprised that Patty doesn't want to leave Worcester? Don't think you can put that on me. Right. But there's plenty that I can. I must say, you're really great at running. Well, not good enough, apparently. Is the rest of the Worcester PD out there? It's just me. Why? Because I don't think it will do anyone any good to tell them. I think Kevin might disagree. I'm not really concerned with protecting Kevin or anyone like him, really. That's been my job for years, so. But Nick Windorf died last week. And as far as I'm concerned, this died with him. Thank you. I'm not doing this to be nice. I'm doing this because 
I don't think you're the enemy. You either. But that's about it. Maybe she didn't give a shit about smelling smoke or seeing the fire because she's not interested in protecting Kevin. So whatever was going on in that house, Tammy was dead set on it. She was done. She was done with this entire crew, the O'Connors, the McRoberts. She just wanted to get out of there. Maybe that is explanation enough. I'm OK with it. I mean, I think that there's there's very few other like very logical reasons because she is obviously a great investigator, great detective. Right. And she's got a nose. Allison. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, she. she she has her ways to do this, but I mean, you would think it's like just like a, you know, porch away. Hey, it's OK. Maybe it's easier to think, turn a blind eye to the situation and she's just done. She's just done. And you know what? If you just got broken up with, maybe you're lost in your own thoughts and you completely just don't care. You're shutting out the outside world. Let's stay on that on that clip, though, because that was interesting at how it ended. And that's why I let it play out. I'm dropping this because I don't think you're the enemy. I don't think you're the enemy either. And But that's all. Are you happy with how they resolve Tammy and Allison? Is this how this conversation was going to go down in your mind? I think probably. I, I think that, that Tammy and Allison had no common ground at any point. And Tammy 100% maintained that. Even if there could have been common ground created, she had no interest. She did not want to get sucked into, again, the same patterns that we assume that she sees all the time. She is a little bit more self-aware she is a little bit more aware of these types of relationships and so i'm going to give her a little bit of credit for recognizing parts that people play you know and she could see what part that allison was playing she just didn't want to play games and this was you know one big giant game that she had gotten sucked into okay now tammy had her own stuff you guys as a character i never fell in love with her i never really you know felt like patty's heart would have fallen in love with her necessarily she had her role to play as well. She definitely was like this outside point of view and, you know, really shed light in areas that really no other character could because you needed someone from the outside, outside of this group who didn't grow up, who didn't have all this baggage with this whole thing. So she did a great job. I'm glad the character existed, but certainly I didn't want Patty to end up with her. No, I, I didn't either. And I was proud of Patty for how she stood up to Tammy throughout this episode. And I'm happy that this wound up where it was because at the end of the day, I actually don't think Tammy is a bad person. I think actually Tammy raises some good questions from her point of view in this episode to Patty as far as a relationship goes, especially a relationship that now is six months further down the line. Um, and and I'll, I'm going to play the clip from a couple of those clips right now. I thought it was super nasty of her to to say that Patty is like a captain's widow waiting for Allison to come home and knock on the door. Like that was unnecessary you for her to say. Nasty? I thought it was really insightful, though, of like she was just waiting around for for her to come back. And, and, and what a fascinating way to say that, because I mean, can you imagine, you know, those like widow's walks like up on the top of built of. Uh, houses where they go up there, you know, and they like watch for their for their husband coming back from sea and stuff. Oh, I could it was I thought it was a great line. Like visually, I could see it all. I thought it was just one final kind of jab because she was talking to Allison and she always I think will forever blame Allison for the failure of her relationship with Patty. And and maybe that is a large catalyst of, of it because of how Patty feels about Allison. I don't think that was the only reason and maybe not even the main reason at the end of the day. Let's play some of the Patty Tammy stuff. First, we got to go all the way to the beginning of the episode where 
uh, Patty has finished uh, working on her client's hair, and the client gives her a book. Okay. Thank you. Oh, and here. Oh. Small print. Oh, stop that. You'll like it. You been reading much? Yeah, sometimes. I've been busy. That's stupid. I don't care what you have going on, okay? Or who you live with. You don't forget who you are. Okay. Is is Tammy prohibiting Patty from reading books? I found that very unsettling, that whole line. Because it seems like she isn't reading. And we know that's a core part of who Patty is, is that Patty reads. Patty reads incessantly. Patty is a reader. Is she not being able to? Is she not being able to? Is this is this Gilead? Is Tammy living in Gilead and not letting her read books? I don't think maybe it's that pointed at like she's not letting her read books. But certainly we know she's being critiqued by Tammy, by everything she does. There's like some sort of like, well, maybe you could change your drink. Maybe you could change what you eat. And maybe you could do this. Maybe you do this differently do that differently so you know to that end i think that the idea that patty wasn't being true to herself while being with tammy is a fact she's really just kind of holding her own most of the time she was she certainly wasn't like flourishing and that's what we would have wanted to see in a relationship for her remember when she picked up the geisha book and tammy's like you've been reading that book for a while there was something about that that made me feel like if i felt like i was being watched like that i don't know man I, I, I might put down a lot of the things that I enjoy doing and just kind of be still because I would feel like I was being watched. I don't I don't think I would pull out like my favorite things in front of that person because I wouldn't want that person to say, oh, you're doing that. Oh, you're reading that. Oh, you're looking at that. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of start start just keeping those things to yourself and maybe doing them a lot less. You keep you start putting your light under a bushel. Very much. The idea of remember who you are is such an important thing. And again, Patty receiving information and truth from someone that she doesn't want to hear it from. Uh, maybe the maybe the point is no one ever wants to actually hear hard truths. It doesn't matter who's delivering it. But I think this show did a good job of of people that you wouldn't of delivering truth in a way that's not sugarcoated. And here you have at the beginning of this episode this person telling her like remember who you are. You can't change who you are for someone else. Before you totally jump off of that, as like a, a reading educator in my background, I feel like I'm like, the fact that they highlighted the library as a place to go for resources, the fact that these women do read and encourage each other to read and Patty's house was full of books. There's a lot there that is like, you don't have to stay in your circumstances. There are resources in your community, even if you think it's just like quotes, just the library, or just if you read about other places and things that other people do, there's something in there that can spark that, you know, I can do more, I can do different things, I can make different choices. And so having women encourage other women to read on screen, I can count on one hand, you know, how often that happens in a TV show. And I, I think that in itself was awesome to see. That's a very good point that I did not even consider. That conversation together with Patty's secret file about Allison and the fact that she's still chasing her down and, and, and the conversation she has with Sam about, I know she wants to be found. I think all of this conspires together to allow 
Patty to finally stand up for herself. I mean, we saw her, we listened to the clip of her standing up against Neil, but this was the other thing Patty needed to take control of in her life. She needed to stand up to Tammy and, and be honest about what she wants. I, I love this scene. This is one of actually my favorites in the episode. Calling this clip Patty Stand. Oh. This is the part where you tell me again that we should move. Patty, you know we need to get out of Worcester. No. No, I don't. What is so wrong with staying where you grew up? Why should I want to leave? Because this place is haunted. Everywhere I look, I see somewhere you lied to me. I know I messed up. And I'm sorry. But are we ever going to be able to just move past it? Maybe, but not here where everything happened. I need something to change. I understand, and I want you to be happy. But I can't uproot my life just to make you happy. Okay, Patty. What do you want? I'm sorry. But not this. That takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of courage for her to say there. It It's never easy admitting what you want. And here she's in a position where she has to do it twice in the episode. You know, to Neil, I want to be able to smoke out there and not worry about what everyone else wants. And what I want is not this, which is a negative, a way of, a, which is like a, answering it in the negative, but still a statement of something. You know, I appreciate both of those sentiments, though. Like, one of the things that I say, I love to travel, and people say, like, why? And and the funny thing is, that, like, I'm not quick to be able to say, oh, because I want to try this type of food, but I'm really quick to say because I want to eat somewhere where I don't have to make sure there's chicken nuggets or mac and cheese or mashed potatoes on the, on the menu because those are what my kids like to eat. Like, I, I know what I don't want. You know, I know what, what I am tired of dealing with and what I'm looking forward to. So I appreciate this approach of like, you don't necessarily need to have this big, perfectly laid out plan. You just have to pick a couple of things that you know are not working for you and say, I need to step away from this because if I do, it'll give some space for me to actually think. And the fact that Neil was like pressing back on her that like, it's so stupid and basic to want to just smoke without having to think about other people. I appreciate that. <laughs> Again, so so much because it's like if my mind could actually just relax and not have to worry about what every other person needs then maybe I actually could cultivate my own needs maybe I can meet my own needs maybe I don't need anyone else to do anything for me I can't even make my list of needs if I'm constantly been bombarded by all everyone else's that's a big first step right it is it is you if you have to you have to make some space you know in front of you before you can actually collect yourself and think about what's next it's hard enough just to get breathing room without having to actually then know all of the steps that come next. I should have paired the clip that came before that, the conversation towards the beginning of the episode. Let's listen to that, though, because I think these two things together set the tone not only for her taking a stand there, but I think actually helps empathize Tammy's position a little bit more, which is something that we've been super down on. We've not been a fan of this character or her role in this relationship. I think this is the first episode where I felt like I appreciated a bit of at least where Tammy was coming from. Let's listen to this clip from early in the episode. 
What's really keeping us here? My business, my job. You can cut hair from anywhere. And my job, I just watched another Patrick O'Irish whatever make detective after two years on the job. And in another two years, he'll probably be my boss. I'm fine with leaving Worcester. This is the only place I've ever lived. But Patty, this is the only place you've ever lived. Here's why I'm saying that this was the first time that I really appreciated where Tammy was coming from, because she's in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to be in a relationship with her. Here in this first scene, Patty's not being truthful with her. My job? Yeah, of course you can cut hair anywhere. That's not why we're staying here. And it's a legitimate question for Tammy to ask, What what is really keeping us here? And then when she says in the salon later on, right before Tammy... Uh, so Patty breaks up with her. She says, maybe we can move on, but not here. I'm haunted. This place is haunted for me because you lie to me everywhere in this town. That is fair of Tammy to feel that way. And I don't think we can downplay that that is fair of Tammy to feel that way. That if this relationship was going to work, not that anyone actually wanted to work, but if it was going to work, I think Tammy has legitimate has a legitimate concern there that th there's ghosts of bad things in our relationship everywhere I turn here. I've now made a gesture. I've done a big gesture. I've quit my job that I can go now be a cop somewhere else. Come with me. She's putting out her hand. Come with me. That is the only way this relationship could ever work. They can never actually be a successful rela relationship in this town after all the things that have happened. And Patty is not honest with her in the beginning. She, that's, that's why the captain's widow, I think Tammy says it with the kind of vitriol and, 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 and salt on it that she does later on when she's talking to Allison is because of this conversation. She's like, that's the true answer, which Tammy knew. Tammy had to have known she was holding on to at least a ghost of Allison, if nothing else. But hearing it kind of confirmed, that has to sting. I, I, as someone who has been in bad relationships and had someone not be honest with them before, I, I feel for Tammy a little bit in this context, in this very limited context. <laughs> I feel like you're giving Tammy a lot. And for me, the things she said, I think, were were incredibly dismissive. I mean, being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, I, I think it's so flippant to say you can cut hair anywhere. Like, fuck you. I built a business with a client's hell. I'm the owner and the sole hairdresser in this place. Like, that took a lot of hustle and a lot of work. And she did that. And you're saying, just walk away from it. So what? You can cut anyone's bangs anywhere. That's what you think owning a business is, is just sitting here and cutting hair. If I'm your partner and you're looking at me like that, like all I do is cut hair. I'm already like, you know what? You you are seeing pieces of me and you're not appreciating the depth of what I've actually accomplished here. For me, I think that that type of stuff was so dismissive. And she didn't quit her job for Patty. She quit her job. She quit her job because she has problems with her job. That doesn't, that wasn't some sort of gesture to Patty. Like say, oh, look, Patty, see, I quit my job for you. No, you quit your job. 
I love my job. I have a clientele base. I have my own business. How are you equating those two things? You know, does she really think that she's going to walk into any other police precinct and not have to deal with this type of same same things? I mean, this is a male dominated profession she's in. She's really like stacking the deck in a certain specific way to make it look like we live in this particular situation that we would not encounter elsewhere, which is false. She would 100% encounter similar issues elsewhere. Fair, but there is something to be said, though, that this place is, from her point of view, they are now together nine months, right? We're at least six months, let's say nine months, maybe almost a year, depending on how quickly she got they got together after the beginning of the show. Nearly a year, she was always playing second fiddle to Allison. I get <laughs> I get her feeling of you're still saying you want to be with me. I'm saying that this place is this place is is toxic for us. This the, the, this place is riddled with bad memories for us. Let's be together somewhere else. And I understand what you're saying and I agree with you. She is dismissive about the about you can cut hair anywhere. That is an extremely dismissive line. But Patty doesn't defend herself on that ground. She doesn't say, I can't just go cut anywhere here. She doesn't say, and maybe she doesn't have to. I'm just but saying. If someone uh, said that. I mean, if you belittle someone's job to that level, I think that there's a part of you that's like, if I have to explain it to you that I am an owner of a small business and what that all entails and you've dumbed it down to I can just like pick up any old scissors and cut anyone's hair anywhere. There isn't really like a discussion to be had, like your assessment of me and my profession and what I do and how hard I work is on display here. So I don't think I would go back at that. I mean, I'd be like, if that's what you think of me, okay. I think at the end of the day, Tammy was always trying to control and manipulate Patty. And even here, she is trying to do it. I mean, she is strong harming her in every way possible. Knowing Patty wasn't giving her the honest reason. If she was giving honest, she would be like, she would say, I'm not ready to, I'm still haunted by the memory of Allison and I'm not done grieving and I'm not ready to move on. You know, she could have left out the whole part of I secretly alive and on the run, but she, obviously, but she's not going to say that. That's too much honesty for, for Patty to say. Tammy, from her point of view, is asking fair questions about why are we still here? I'm curious what people think on this. And again, I am not a fan of Tammy and in, 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 in this relationship. I think she... I think she spent the entire show trying to control and manipulate Patty. But in the theme of not everyone is all good or all bad, not everyone is a Kevin all the time. I think there is a specific way here where Tammy is being a human who feels like she's getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. It's okay with me for Tammy as a character to be here, to ask questions, to poke the bear, to say, like, have you thought about it this way? Those types of things. I said this many episodes ago, and I maintain it. I really have an issue with the way that Tammy was trying to isolate Patty, the way that she's saying she can't have other friends. Now, in in our situation here, we only get a, a small slice of the pie. So we know she's saying you can't be friends with Allison. I should only be the one spending time with her. Now she's saying you need to leave your childhood home, all the all and your business 
and your business, everything that you have any control over. And I want to like isolate you and take you now to another location to where you would have no one anymore and nothing familiar. That's some creepy shit to me that I would be like, And just drink vodka tonics. I am exactly. I'd be like, I am not going. If Oprah has taught us anything, Mike, it's you do not go to the second location. Okay. The second location is <laughs> going to be worse. I'm so glad she finally like, you know, stuck her, her heels into the, the sand there and was like, I am not going to do this. Like you're going way too far. Tammy's role in this story of asking questions, of poking holes, of looking for reasons, it played out perfectly for the storyline because it allowed the audience to have some questions answered. And it allowed us to feel like someone needs to be voicing these questions. Like, well, why does Patty need to be staying there? What is the issue? You know, like it gives us a lot to talk about as an actual couple, as people actually doing this to each other. mm -mm, I'm not on board. Once again, another character you know, boxes up her stuff and gets in a car. I, do, do you want to talk a little bit about the music choices in this episode? Because it is while Tammy is leaving and the fire is starting to rage next door that mm-hmm. the song This Guy's In Love With You mm-hmm. starts to cue up. I, man, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a music guy. I came to you right away and was like, help me with this. I sent you a bunch of research of the actual song about who actually originally wrote it and then who actually recorded it. I tried to like really dig into this and think about this. I read about what other people were saying about it. And honestly, do you feel like you have your arms wrapped around it any more than when we started talking about this song choice? No, I don't. I mean, they're, they're playing the version of the song that was recorded by Herb Alpert, which was a hit for him. It's a song written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. The only thing that was interesting was the original song was the song appears to have been originally written by Hal David with lyrics to be sung by a female singer. Now, that requires a little bit of digging to uncover. Even that still, because the song plays... It starts when Tammy is getting her stuff and getting ready to go in the car. She looks back at the house. We see that the fire is starting to dance inside the McRoberts house. It fades way into the background while Patty is with Sam at Bev's diner and then cues up again loud full bore as Patty arrives on the scene at the house and watches it burn. I know a lot of people who were behind, you know, the uh, a Pattison relationship felt uncomfortable with this idea that that the lyrics were about fall in love with a guy now the thing is that we're watching this as the kevin and allison relationship is essentially dissolving with the fire in a way it's like a swan song to kevin and allison's relationship and the fact that you know she fell in love with the guy um and that's what was going on over here and this is and it's burning down like it's literally being demolished here yeah i mean so the the middle of the song lyrics are i need your love i want your love say you're in love in love with this guy if not i'll just die tell me how is it so don't let me be the last to know my hands are shaking don't let my heart keep breaking because i need your love i want your love say you're in love in love with this guy if not i'll just die earlier in the song goes when you smile i can tell we know each other very well how could i show you i'm glad i got to know you because so there are lyrics there that kind of apply to the tammy patty relationship if you think about the song having originally been from sung from a woman's point of view it's this girl in love with you then and and there's lyrics in there don't let 
my heart keep breaking all from the wrong point of view right if it's from tammy's point of view we've talked about how tammy uh, at least 99 percent of the relationship is not good for patty right she's controlling manipulative the same way kevin is controlling and manipulative of allison so if the lyrics are then the sky's in love with you and you listen to these I think it's sarcasm is the end of it. I, I think at the end of the day, it's actually, it's a song played sarcastically and okay. because of the kicker of, if not, I'll just die because that's ultimately how the song fades out. Right. If it's Neil walks away, you know, it ends with that little piano plunking, like ding, 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 you know, I'll just die. And Kevin has died and, and, you know, and Tammy has metaphorically died by going away. To the ends of relationships. The two, the two, the two Kevin's predominant Kevin's in their in these respective relationships have gone away. So I think the song is tongue in cheek. Is that's where I'm coming down on it. People were trying to apply it to Patty and Allison, and it was like not working. And that makes better sense because it's like, well, if we think that they have more of a basis of a true love, then a sarcastic tongue in cheek song is not going to work out for that. So right. then maybe it works better like this. Well, just visually, there's they, they pick Shout Sister Shout for the final song that features Allison and Patty together. This song isn't about Allison and Patty. This song is about the 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 uh, relationships of Allison and Kevin and Tammy and Patty and I think it is being used tongue in cheek because there's a cheese factor here Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass I'll go with it because that because really it, it it struck me as like huh I and we we were watching it on uh, on a screener at first so I was like I wonder if they're gonna replace this song because that happens a lot it happens a lot that's why I try and stay away from talking about music honestly I know. I know, I know. Until it they actually played, I was like, I'm not sure that this is going to be the song that they choose. And then so when they did, I was like, okay, all right. And I was hoping there would be some, you know, better reveal of like, okay, what exactly is this? I'm cool with the sarcastic nature of it. I'm cool with the tongue in cheek. Like, no one's going to die because these two people are out of their lives, basically, for Patty and Allison. You know, like both Tammy and Kevin can leave. And you know what? We have to we have to keep adding the caveat. We don't know that Kevin died. We would like Kevin to have died, yeah. but we don't know. We don't. You got to leave that single. You've got to leave that sleeping with the enemy element in there. You absolutely you do. To. You absolutely do. Though it if, makes it that much more scary. Though if you're gonna, if you're going to make me, uh, if you're gonna press me, I'm gonna say he's dead. And Eric Peterson also thought. I he was want dead. him to be dead. I want him to be dead. But the, leaving it a little bit unknown is so much more menacing. Well, I mean, they know how they've got the key to the clerk's office. They can go pull the death certificate in a couple of days if they wanted to. So, <laughs> you know, Kevin, though, he probably knows someone there, too. We're, we're, we're circling. We're circling the time where we're going to talk about Allison and Kevin specifically. But before we get there, let's finish off Sam. And uh, as as we, uh, you know, say boy voyage to Raymond Lee as he begins to quantum leap across the universe. Let, let's talk about Sam and how his story finishes up on the show. Uh, Allison and Sam, 
a little anticlimactic, maybe, because there's one scene together they have in this episode is really just exposition. It's only there really to serve the purpose of telling Allison that she does have a problem coming back from the dead because Kevin heavily advertised her death and how mourning he, uh, how in mourning he is, that glorious beard he has, and also introducing the idea of Molly to Allison. So it's really exposition heavy. And it also is the scene where Sam admits finally that Patty knows Allison better than he does, which is something for Sam to admit, I guess, because uh, he definitely has a healthy ego about himself. Not a lot there. Were you expecting more of a final on scene together between these two? I think that we talked about this a couple of episodes ago when you were like, do you think that they're going to end up sleeping together again? And I said, no, I honestly really think that there's some solid closure. And whenever they had Sam have the realization that he has Kevin tendencies as well, that character grew beyond this this need to have this Alice and Sam of yesteryear kind of feel to it. It was like, OK, no, they're like growing and changing and now they're different people. And so I was fine with it. We had to introduce Molly somehow. Sam was an interesting way to do that because I, I mean, it wouldn't have been something that Patty would, would wanted to share. Like, I don't know how she would have exactly figured it out. He was a good narrative device to get that information to Allison and allow her to act on it before anyone else really knew that she knew. You do have that final scene where they kiss and then she backs away. And I talked about how the camera pulls away is like, you know, it struck me as something that we weren't supposed to see. It was almost indecent. She's crying and she apologizes. That's really like their last significant interaction. And then there is closure there. So I think I'm okay with it. But I guess she had to, right? Because it doesn't feel right. They have to save the Patty Allison reunion to the final scene. Yeah. So who's like left, really, that she could have talked to? So you have to get Neil, that Molly. Right. Effort. I mean, but Neil had so much else. I mean, Neil is finishing up his own arc in this episode. It would have been too much for him to run into her, right? At the, you know, the ice rink or something, right? Or Maroney's or whatever. Let's talk about Patty and Sam, though, because we get the little detail here. They don't come out and say it explicitly, but you definitely understand that in the last six months, Patty and Sam have become good friends, at least good friends of convenience over this, over Allison and Allison, the hole that she has left in their life. Sam is the last kind of person Patty would ever voluntarily spend time with, just based on the she-she, <laughs> she-she food that he cooks, you know, and then drinking IPA beers uh, with Sam. Uh, neither of those things sound bad to me. I'm into both of those things. But uh, uh, but yeah, so I think it was like a little funny juxtaposition and a little humor on the show's part to these two odd couple people being thrown together. What did you think of their interactions? I mean, I, I think, again, we, we're we dipping into that shared trauma well and saying it makes like funny bedfellows, right? Where you end up with people together who are, they are willing to sit and talk and, and can kind of show up at any given time. The way that Patty does just sort of show up at the end of the, the, the counter. And it's like, Sam's like, hello, you know, like there, there, there doesn't have to be any reason or any, like anything. And you just kind of pick up right where you left off because they have this shared experience here. That's just so difficult. They're trying to process and they really don't have anyone else to share that with. I appreciated it. I think it was very much 
grounded in reality that that people would want to kind of stick around and be like, I don't know, man, what do you think? Where is she? Have you heard anything? Kind of thing. Just because I don't know, people still they they maintain that that little bit of curiosity and and people bond over stuff like that, right? Like it it really seals you. I mean, it keeps Allison alive by having these conversations, by tracking her, by thinking maybe she's in Vermont now. She was working at a lotto store. I mean, it keeps Allison actively in the room, and they both need that. Neither of them, despite Sam's claims, neither of them are ready for Allison closure yet. And Patty, I mean, especially I, again, like everyone needs some sort of anchor. And I think that while Sam is just like a little buoy in the ocean right now, she still needs that. Let's play this clip because I think this is a very interesting discussion on people, if nothing else. But I think it's an interesting discussion as far as understanding Allison's character arc that maybe Allison herself wasn't aware of. I just want to make sure she's all right. I think about her. Don't you? No. Liar. I don't. She left on her own. And I don't think she wants to be found. Yes, she does. She's Allison. Yeah, and I know Allie, too. Oh, no. Because you still call her that like she's 17? Jesus. Well, yeah, she's still the same person, right? I mean, people don't change. She actually did... I don't even think she realized it. She gave up everything to protect me. And now that I'm left here without her, I don't feel better off. I just feel left. Yeah, well, Allison's a complicated person. She's my favorite person. And she did this because she thought it would fix everything. Not because she wanted to. She wants to be found. Then why is she so good at running? She's my favorite person. Mike, my heart just like broke. She's my favorite person. And or just like thumped bigger. I don't know which one. Some something there. I was like, it's definitely an achy. It's a definitely achy heart moment. I wish she had said, "I don't feel better off." I wish she would have said, "I don't feel better off. I just feel off." I don't feel better oh. off. I just feel left is a good line. But I think I don't feel better off. I just feel off. Maybe too poetic for Patty. <laughs> Maybe too poetic for Patty. <laughs> this is the part. So we have a 52 weeks of Christmas podcast that, that Mike and I do that you are welcome to go listen to over on Pod Clubhouse. We have so many podcasts over there that as you guys are finishing up, please go find us over in one of our other podcasts because we have so many. But there is a section that we had called Caroline and Mike's Punch Up. <laughs> Will we rewrite the lines? <laughs> yeah, so that was totally, I was having a flashback. Too. I, I mean, I, I have listened to that scene. I have listened to that scene I just played for you a lot because I watched the episode many, so many times, but then I had to actually go pull the audio and all the other stuff that I do. And every single time I expected her to say, I just feel off. And she says, I just feel left. And I'm like, no, that's not right. Every single time I thought that. I was, I was surprised every time. It makes me feel like maybe I have some kind of head trauma. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, she's my favorite person. She's my favorite person. What else is there to say? And you know what? God, I feel like this is where we get back to that whole, like, how do you define a, a relationship? How do you define, you know, what? how do you label a relationship? Find your favorite person and spend time with them. That's what we should all be shooting for. And she found her favorite person. 
That's pretty amazing. It's interesting in this in this clip, uh, she says, I know she wants to be found. Sam retorts, then why is she so good at running? And in her confrontation with Tammy, in her confrontation with Tammy, uh, Tammy says to Allison, you're really good at running. The show always drops these kinds of lines when it wants you to pay attention. And you always have multiple characters saying a theme. It's It's one of the great geniuses of the writing of this show is that if you're if you're paying attention they show you where you want to look and it takes you to one of the themes of this episode is this idea of running i'm thinking back to the last two seasons of all the times where she was quote on a run or on a run but i mean think back to the finale if i could just go somewhere else i can do it all perfectly the next time if i could just start over allison's entire drive this whole series was to run Except for now. Now she just wants to come home and make a stand. At the end of the day, Patty, at the end of the day, Sam and Tammy were wrong about Allison. Maybe that's who Allison was. Maybe that's who Allison was when she was Allie. Maybe that's who Allison was when she was there, you know, at the beginning of the season. Maybe even when during the birthday party uh, where... Tammy told her to back off. Maybe that Allison did want to run, but this Allison, dark-haired Allison in this episode, is an Allison who doesn't want to run. This is an Allison who wants to come home and wants to come home and take a stand. Patty understands that about her. Do you remember the scene in Forrest Gump when he starts running? Yeah. And he just, like, runs across, like, the whole country and zigzags and all this stuff. And at one point he just stops and he's like, I think I'm done. Yeah. And he jets it. And and they say, what are you going to do now? And he says, I'm going to go home. This might be one of those situations where it's not about the destination because she ends up back in that same living room we met her in. But it was about the journey the whole time. And so what looked like running wasn't exactly what it was. It was, you know, her she wasn't running away. She was like running through this entire gauntlet to come to the end to realize I'm strong enough now to face him. It's like watching those training montages, right? Right. And it's a little bit of her conversation that she has with Laura, with, uh, you know, uh, play it again, Pam's consignment, Laura, you know, in that bar, she says, I'm not, I can't go home. I'm not worthy of it. Is she Joe and Laura's like, what? Like, she doesn't understand those words, but it makes sense from Allison. Like, she hasn't, she hasn't earned it yet. It's actually the conversation with Tammy that allows her to finally say, I'm like ready to, I'm ready to go home. I've earned the, I've earned the right to go take my stand now. But she's feeling it even, even halfway through this episode, she's still feeling like she's not, she's not earned the right the the to be worthy of going home so now she's running out of necessity out of out of like self-flagellation she's running at this point but she wants to go home and then she does there feels like that that need to protect patty and that and that understanding that as so long as she runs she can be the scapegoat for patty you know no one will be looking for patty or looking at at her with this entire nick situation and everything so once she gets that closure that nick is gone and no one is going to be pursuing this anymore there's this whole feeling of like I, you know i like i ran the race i ran i outran the problem the patty portion of it all obviously not the kevin portion but now i can finally i can go back because i've successfully protected patty through this so now 
I have to go fight my own fight. Only because we manifested it while we're recording. I just got the screener for the Halloween episode of Quantum Leap. So uh, like literally just came into my email. I, I had to stop it. I love it. We're yeah. talking about Raymond. Very funny. Uh, it's love called it. Oh Ye Little Faith. It's their Halloween episode because it'll be airing on Halloween. I want to talk about She raises a good question here. There's a couple of good questions in this episode raised, like philosophical questions. Um, and, and the one that's raised here is, can people change? And I think if you ask people who maybe haven't paid attention fully to the show or just know briefly what the show is about, I'd say they probably would tell you the show is cynical. It is a cynical look at the state of things. I think this, this scene here is giving hope. I think this is an argument for this show is not cynical. Sam says, people don't change. Allison didn't change. Allie didn't change. She's the same person she always was. She's a runner. And Patty says, but no, but she did change. She, in fact, did change. She gave up everything to protect me. Didn't even realize that she changed. She went on the run. Um, So maybe there's hope for everyone. That's my takeaway from this line is maybe Allison isn't the exception. Because I think if you ask most people, most people would say people can't change. I think I think that most times. But Allison McRoberts did. Allison changed. So maybe there is hope for us in the same way that in the conversation with Allison and, and Laura, do you think there's good in everyone? I hope so. I hope there's some good in everyone. Laura doesn't think there is. I think Allison doesn't think there's good in everyone. I hope there is. And I hope that maybe people can change. Maybe Allison is the example and not just the exception. What's the what's the saying? The only thing that's certain is change. So for me, there's some portion of that that's like there's absolutely nothing that actually stays the same. It's it's up to us to sort of roll with it. It's actually much harder, I think, to stay the same, especially these days when when me, you were younger or even further back behind us. Right. Times are a little bit slower. I feel like now, like between technology and the world around us, things like fly so fast, like you can transform and be someone different. Like in the, in the blink of an eye, I feel like, you know, and, you know, access to things like mental health care and having a chance to work on some of these things, whether it's like an online blog kind of situation or reading books or all the access we have, like the, like the library, because I freaking love the library, you guys. You know, there's so many different ways that you can change that. I am forever hopeful. I'm forever hopeful. And I don't even look at it like. I think change might be a frightening word to people because people don't want to change and they don't want to be changed. Right. But I think it's fair to say, like, evolve to, like, move on, to let some problems go, to examine, like, what are things that are working for me? What are things that don't work for me and leave some things behind that aren't, whether it be people or habits or whatever. I think that's very healthy and and very normal. I think people who don't change at all. Those those people are are kind of scary to me because it's like, man, are you not absorbing anything that's going on around you ever? You know, like th- those people, I, it, I think it would be very hard to like actually just stay the same way, you know? I mean, how often do you run into people that are exactly the same way they were when you were kids or teenagers? Like that's troubling if if they still act like a, like a frat bro or, you know, yeah. the same like emotional maturity as they were then. And it happens. I, I've... I've run across people in my life that like you've not changed has how has life passed you by so much that you are unchanged in any way in 15, 20 years. It's it's shocking sometimes when 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 you come across that. So 
So it's an interesting one for our listeners. I mean, do you guys think that people change? Do you guys think that that it's natural for people to change or is it natural for people to stay the way they are? I, I think it would be curious to know what you guys think, especially, you know, like I said, in this day and age when I think the the concept of, of our Instagram world where it seems like you're supposed to you're supposed to kind of like be willing to transform, right? Be like a chameleon and like become something different all the time. Roll with it. I, I feel like is the predominant attitude of the day, right? Like keep keep reinventing yourself. Lord knows I love a good makeover. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because while this is certainly not maybe the weightiest of subjects, I am super curious what you think of new Allison's dark hair. <laughs> you love the scene when like the overalls girls in the in the ponytail and the glasses, right? And then they come down in the dress and it's like, <gasps> what? No, no, I don't need the <laughs> I don't need the dress. I like where they take off the hat and shake out their hair, and then it's like, and then like the strings play. Oh, like she was there all along. She didn't even need the dress, you know? <laughs> You're all what? What? <laughs> what? They take off their baggy sweater and whatnot, and it's like, oh my god, she's changed yeah i think that 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 happens all the time so super wacky super wacky for us as you know schitt's creeks lovers as well that uh to see annie murphy with dark hair that was wacky for me i mean i I didn't think it suited her which kind of like fit the whole thing right is like this new life didn't exactly suit her she she put it together and good for her for putting it together and it was working on some level she was being successful you know my goodness she was being praised by her boss she's being offered to stay on all these things but also those little moments, like God, with the coworker when she started kind of making fun of the clothes, and oh. the coworker was like, "That's in bad taste." I didn't pull it, but she says, "Fancy ladies." She's like all these spell like Chanel number no. five. She's like fancy ladies. She says fancy dead ladies, and like fucking dark Allison. Like that's some Patty stuff. You can't say that to Laura. She's too. She's too fucking sunshine and rainbows. The second that Laura didn't laugh, I was like, oh, Laura, you are not my people. Like, you have got to laugh at stuff like that for me. And that again, it was like you start to realize how priceless finding people who are your people really is as you go through life and you make jokes like that and they clunk and you're like, crap, (laughs) like I got got to find my people again. And and like this, this place isn't it. What do you think? Did you enjoy that dark hair? it, It felt super weird on her. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. I think the dark hair is a great example of how she was not, and, and the dead fancy ladies line, this is not her place. These were not her people. This is not where she belonged. And I think. How about the window that would never close? How about the window she, that was like always stuck and she couldn't ever get it closed? Like, talk about not getting closure. Did you see what they did there? I did. I appreciated it. I saw what you did there and I. Not just what I did, what that window was doing. That window was doing a lot of work to show us that she wasn't getting closure. I want to compliment the show because without making it explicit and with very tight time constraints, they, in just these three examples alone, they demonstrated perfectly she doesn't belong here. Like, you, and would you understand it without the show having to tell you? Because subconsciously, at least, if not consciously, you're picking up on these visual clues that are telling you this is not where she was supposed to be. This is not her life. She does not have window closure. Like, you know, she's got unfinished <laughs> business that she has to go get to. How cute is it that she's reading? Uh, clearly, she's reading for Patty, right? I mean, in the same way that she always would notice stuff 
stuff and not use it as a form of manipulation over Patty, the same way Tammy would notice stuff and use it to manipulate Patty. She's taking an interest in Patty interest. She's reading. I, I think that was my take on it. I don't think she would be reading James Joyce's Ulysses otherwise. What's Ulysses about, Mike? Uh, Ulysses is a modernist retelling of the Odyssey, uh, a story of one person's journey to try and get back home again. There you go. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I understand that. On top of the 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 symbolism of the book she's reading, I think she's reading, though, because she could be listening to an audio tape, right? She could be doing like a book on tape kind of thing, but she's reading because Patty reads. I thought that was a I thought that was a thing. I'll say it. I'll say yes. Okay. But I'm also going to like, I really think there's a message here about women pick up a book. I really do think that there's a message here about that. That yes, okay, it could Not be that about book. Allison that, and Patty. That's a complicated book. Really... That is a dense book to pick up, though. Oh, stop. Like, it what? Is. Women aren't capable of reading this book. It's too, it's too it has nothing to... difficult. James Joyce's uh, Ulysses is not. Uh, like light reading totally true I, a, a thousand percent but also like you can do hard things i guess i guess i took it as a shout out to one the book itself i took as a shout out to the story but i think the activity of reading was something that she would see patty do and i think she's trying to emulate there i i, I really do I love it. i love it i'll give you that and i also just really think there's like an excellent push to to learn and read, you know, like get out there and be curious. Uh, if you guys want to go to the Wikipedia page and read their summary of the final chapter of Ulysses for all of you Pattison folks out there, I think you'll find it interesting. <clears throat> um, anywho, moving on, because we got to talk about Kevin before we could talk about Allison and Kevin. Kevin is interesting in this in this episode because I think we see the descent into madness played out over the 44 minutes of this episode. Mike, this is what we were waiting for. I mean, this episode was everything, right? I mean, we finally get everyone walking away from him and we finally get him in the drama side. I was dying for this moment. Every person that leaves Kevin makes Kevin a little bit more unhinged in this episode, makes him a little more agitated, makes him a little more frantic. And and this is a guy who has tons of frantic energy. I mean, he's definitely, you know, chaos evil, uh, you know, always. But this episode, he becomes more and more agitated and more and more unstable. After Pete uh, leaves, you know, he he finds Neil with Diane. That leads to him confronting Neil in Maroney's. And they have this conversation. Let's listen to this clip about loyalty. Whatever, Diane is not a grandma. She's an aunt who smells like herbal essences and is very nice to me. Well, she is practically my aunt. It's like you hooked up with my family. Well, then you're related, almost. What if I happened to loyalty, Neil? Gee, Kev, I don't know. Maybe it went out the window when you ditched me and I got arrested alone. Neil, you misunderstand. I'm talking about your loyalty to me, not the other way around. You know what, man? I'm done. You've been a jerk to me for... For, for forever, I think. Oh, yeah? Name one time. The time you ditched me and I got arrested. That's real mature, Neil. About as mature as your new girlfriend. <laughs> Goodbye, Kevin. It's time for you to go. Fine. Whatever. 
I got my own smoking hot girlfriend to take care of me, so. Oh, no, I, di I didn't even shower today. Babe, how about you don't announce it to the whole bar when you don't shower? So now he's lost Neil. He goes home. He he can't deal with the silence of his own head. He starts saying words. Was it swashbuckler? Uh, he starts saying so that there's just noise in the room because he can't be alone with his own thoughts. Molly comes in. They have that uncomfortable exchange. You know, she has that great line. You know, at four months, I can't tell when you when you're being serious. And you know, it's a classic Kevin jokes thing. If it offends you, I was joking, kind of thing, right? That's how Evan is. Uh, Kevin is, and she literally backs out. Uh, and run literally runs out of the house to get away from him <laughs> now he goes in the living room and allison is there this is the genius of the show this is what i think sets this show apart from other shows because of the conceit of the show and this idea that kevin exists in this multicam sitcom world where even if the people in the frame aren't going to laugh at his jokes, you always had the live audience laughing at his jokes. The last person to leave Kevin is the sitcom itself, is the audience. Listen to the progression of this scene when Allison first appears in the living room and they have their reunion. Don't focus on the words so much. Focus on the audience, guys. Jesus Christ, Kevin, there was no mountain. Oh, okay, so you were running on flat ground when you hit your head. I mean, you must have some sort of brain trauma, because right now you sound a lot like Neil. One time Kevin, shut talking. up. I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen. I want a divorce. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought you said divorce. I did. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, uh, Allison, you, you don't want to do this. <laughs> of course I do. It's fucking genius. Kevin, shut up, gets ooze. I want a divorce, gets ooze and literal gasps, audible gasps from the audience. You don't mean that. Yes, I do. Gets a couple of whoops, gets a clap, gets a yeah. Of course I do. Gets applause and whoops from the audience. They are applauding for Allison. The tone happens and it flips to the single cam. Caroline, he loses the fucking audience and we get to witness it. It's genius because it's so subtle, but it's what everything has been building towards. That's why it flips. He has lost. The audience is gone. The, the floating fourth wall has come down. Kevin is forced into this world because literally everything has left him as he deserves. It was amazing. I mean, that hiding behind the laugh track, hiding behind, if it offends you that I'm joking kind of crap that he has, and it all just falls away and dissolves. And finally, like you said, it's not just Allison, but I feel like Annie Murphy gets the backing, you know, in that moment too from the audience that feels like, Finally, you know, like she's finally seen and heard. Right. Remarkable. I think I think that's the unique nature of this show is that you get to have a reveal like that where a character who has been so dismissed the entire time by the unseen character of the audience and then is finally seen. Wow. Wow. 
Let's, I hope people go back and really watch and listen that part again. Yeah, at least play the clip again, because I think audibly you hear it, but it's such a well-done scene with the lighting and just Allison and her dark hair and Kevin and Spear. Neither of these characters looking like they're supposed to look having this this confrontation. But just listen to the audience. Focus in on that as they turn against him and just four remarks. It, it's really so, so well done. I, I, I can't say it enough. When I clued into it, and I heard it the first time and it didn't clock with me. It was the second time watching it. I was like, oh, 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 I I was doing that. Uh, I was doing that Leonardo DiCaprio gif, <laughs> where he points and gets all excited and jumps up and down. I was literally doing that at the TV. We have to take a break here because Erin Hayes is playing Molly in this episode. She's the guest star in this episode. She's the final guest star of the season, and in a lot of ways, the most important one for what this show is. If you listen to Valerie Armstrong talk about the origin of the show. She was listening to a podcast and these two actors, these two female actors were talking about how every time they would go out for a sitcom, their agent or the people pitching the show would tell them, no, it's going to be different than it's ever been before. You're going to get the laugh. You're going to be able to get the jokes. You're not just going to be the setup for the man in the scene. They would inevitably always get to the auditions. They would read the script and they were just the setup person. They never got to be the one to get the joke. They were just a commodity. Part one. Part two, Aaron Hayes, famously now or infamously now, is cast as Kevin James's wife in the first season of Kevin Can Wait, the newest and latest of the Kevin James sitcoms that this show is skewering. This idea of what happens if you take out the laugh track, what happens to the wife in these shows when they leave the room kind of thing. Aaron Hayes, at the end of the season, in between season, is fired from the show. Never given a clear expl explanation why uh, Leah Rimini, who had been Kevin James's wife in his long standing sitcom King of Queens, is elevated to become his love interest in the second season. And they write off Aaron Hayes' character as having died in between seasons. So now he's like a widowed dad who has to raise the kids they have in Kevin Can Wait. Ultimately, Kevin James came out and said that narratively, having her die opened up the show so it would have storylines, that they didn't know what to do with him being married to the Aaron Hayes character. It just add insult to injury. They didn't even really have a cause of death for no, her just, on she died. the show. She just died. She died. <laughs> they, it, didn't, no. they didn't really discuss it. They, didn't, they definitely didn't have any storyline about it. And she didn't even have a cause of death. She just died. The ultimate in... You're just a commodity. There's no way to take that other than the show never valued you more than just being a setup person for Kevin James and his dumb jokes and his dumb, probably mostly misogynistic jokes. So having Aaron Hayes guest star in this episode as the woman who replaces the dead, quote unquote, dead Allison wife character is genius. And it makes so much sense. And I love that they pulled this off. It it feels like such a coup for the thesis of this show. And I love that Aaron Hayes was willing to do it. And I think the way they employed the Molly character in this episode was great. But this scene in particular, where the audience finally turns to Allison's side, I hope Aaron Hayes was there when they shot that, though, because... I feel like if not for her and what she went through, maybe we don't get Kevin can fuck himself as a show. Maybe we don't get this scene. Maybe we don't get this audience interaction. 
Aaron Hayes, in so many ways, is the reason why we're here and what she went through and what her character went through and what women go through every day in sitcoms and and trying to get ahead in sitcoms and trying to get a voice in sitcoms that we're talking about here, these multicamp shows, these what I call these CBS sitcoms, these Chuck Lorre-esque sitcoms that have proliferated television for decades and decades. And I'm going back all the way to The Honeymooners. I said that a long time ago. Imagine Ralph Cramden, big giant Ralph Cramden, threatening to punch his wife every single episode. What Alice must have felt like when she would leave, when he would say bang, zoom right to the moon and like make a punching fist. How Alice Cramden must have felt when she went into the kitchen and left the scene so that Ralph and Ed could like, uh, you know, have their shenanigans. That's what this show is talking about. And Aaron Hayes is just the latest and maybe worst victim of this kind of television and this kind of humor. The scene that I was so struck by was was actually Allison going and talking to Molly. And they don't delve into everything that was said at all. There was something about the idea of people who see the light generally going back into the woods and getting the people who are still being controlled or manipulated by a Kevin type character, regardless of, of gender or what have you, and giving them the truth and letting them see the light and helping them out of those situations, I think is a huge message that, yes, it's important to get yourself out. But also when you hear someone else getting into that sitch, go talk to them, go tell them, go be honest with, with them, because that's how the Kevins get pushed out. That's how we stop having them have the next person to grab onto. Because like you said, how did Allison ever find Kevin? It was Kevin's looking for the next Allison. So if, if the Allisons of the world bond together and keep telling each other, not that one, that one's Kevin, you don't have this happening anymore. So I think that that was a brilliant add to that, that Molly just didn't walk out on her own. Allison put her hand out and helped her see what was going on. Truth from the source that you wouldn't expect you'd want to hear it from. The, yeah. your, 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 your supposedly your, dead. Your boyfriend's <laughs> suppo- allegedly dead, dead wife. Dead wife. <laughs> right. That's who you had to hear it from. That's what the show does. It gives you hard truth from the people you're not expecting or wanting to hear it from. I'm super curious what the context of that conversation is. I applaud oh, the I show. wanted to know, too. Uh, I applaud the show for not telling us, but God damn it, show, I wanted to know what they said. The only reason why I really wanted to hear it is because, again, I think that people are learning real lessons from this. It's very Schitt's creek in terms of like there's some hard conversations that if you can write that dialogue out and I'm, I'm sure that kind of stuff was cut for time there wasn't enough to be able to do everything they wanted to do in those last three episodes once they knew there wasn't going to be a season three so they had to cut stuff out but I it would have been so great in order to help people navigate it in real life like how do you approach someone when you know that they're in a bad situation maybe you dated that person before maybe you just know like Patty knew what Kevin and Neil and Pete were like, but she didn't warn Allison. So there's something about how do you do that that is still is like a mystery. It's still out there. Like how do we talk about this? I really, I really encourage Valerie to write a book. I'm telling you, <laughs> because I think people would use it as a as a real guidebook on on how to handle things. I'd like to know for those reasons, but I'd also like to know if they were in cahoots to get Allison in the house because. That house is pretty silent. Ooh. If she had opened the door, the if Allison opens the front door and closes it, I feel like we that door never opened and closed silently at any point in the season. It always made like a front door slam. 
if Molly doesn't come in the back door and have that conversation with Kevin, well, as like the distraction, while Allison is setting herself up in the living room to have this conversation. How does Allison get the jump on him, right? Yeah, I I like that very much, that they would have worked together. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's just suppositioned, but maybe I could see the conversation of, come with me to the house. I have to talk to him anyway. You'll see for yourself. Look at it from this point of view, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And that way, you're not taking my word for it. You can see it on your own, who Kevin really is. And Molly and, and Kevin doesn't disappoint. And it is exactly who Allison must have described he really is for Molly's benefit. And Molly got to see it for herself. So important. Save yourself, yes. But once you're safe, once you once you feel strong on your own two feet, man, reach your hand back. Grab somebody else. A wise friend always reminds me uh, that you always have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help those who are sitting next to you. And that then is, you should help those and that around you. Should, you and that, that you should help those around you. It is an important metaphor, yes. not only in airplane safety, but also in life. I think it's so important. So, yeah, I, I, the Aaron Hayes thing, we probably should have discussed that two hours ago when we first started. But so important to this show, to why we get to watch the show, is Aaron Hayes and Aaron Hayes' story. So it is so cathartic, I think, anyway. It was for me watching it, watching her play the Molly character and the role that the Molly character has in this episode. Because as short as her time on screen was, look at how much she did change. Like yeah. she did walk out of there, and that's amazing, you know. And we don't we don't get to learn anything about her. She has very little character development at all because she's just a blip. But we saw her have the push, the encouragement to stand up for herself and be like, "Ah, this is not what I want," you know, and right. walk out. And that's all it takes. Not knowing what you don't want, and and that's enough to start navigating towards what you do want. And she's around long enough because because of her introduction in the beginning of the episode. Kevin needs me. I saved Kevin's life. I yes. give him free beer and snacks. These are patterns. This is probably not the first Kevin Molly has dated in her life. She works in a bowling alley. I'm sure she sees. She sees Kevin and Chuck probably all the time. I'm sure she has dated someone else probably in their friend crew. She was just like within arm's reach of Kevin. That's the that's the like, oh my God. They probably have seen each other thousands of times. It's not like she came out of nowhere, you right. know? And, and there's something about that that's like extra like, wah, like Kevin, because he literally just like reached us in and was like, whoever's the next woman who falls into it, you know? Oh, yeah. That's who I'm gonna go well, with. Well, when he comes in the when he comes in the living room and then Allison introduced he's like, Thank God you're here. I'm pretty sure I just got dumped. He's just taking the next one who just happens to be yeah. the one. One from before. Yeah, it's like standing at a bus stop. Just as one final, imagine if Kevin had said that line in the single cam, how sinister it would have been. When he tells Molly, he doesn't ask Molly, he tells Molly that she's moving in. That line really, really like made me like stop and be like, that's a, such a fucked up thing to say to someone. Not, not will you move in with me? Not, I would love for us to take our relationship to the next level. He says, you're moving in. Imagine that line if Chuck mm-hmm. is saying it or if Kevin in single cam is saying it. And and without further ado, I think we have to get to who is really who Kevin really is. And single cam Kevin is as scary and as sinister and as terrifying as I think you and I had always predicted he would be. Kevin, where is everyone? Everyone who? Pete, Neil, Molly. What do you know? What did you say to Molly? Just the truth. What Pete knew. And Neil. The 
but you're a goddamn cancer. No, 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 no. No, this does not happen to me. Not from my wife. No! Allison, without me, you will have nothing. Because I will fucking destroy you. Do your worst. She don't flinch. She don't back down. He punches the fucking wall and she's just like, what, bitch? Bring it. <laughs> you know, the, so I'm reminded that in our interview, he said, um, Eric Peterson told us that there was actually a scene that was taken out where he clears the table behind the sofa, yeah. like just clears all the tchotchkes with his arm. Man, I would love to see that because like that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of intimidation that is the reality of Kevin and single cam, you know, and and people pointed out as we were like watching, if you look back remember when she was back in the in the doctor's office and there was a bruise on her arm mm -hmm. and then you guys remember she has the dislocated shoulder she had that black eye from him like you know kicking the door frame and all that stuff i think there's so many times when she was being physically pushed around by him beyond the emotional and mental abuse i, I really do think that this scene to me if you're punching walls i i just i really think he showed his true colors here Right, this is not the first time Kevin punched a wall, right? You never, you no. never see the first time when someone does something like that. Maybe it's just the first time that we're getting to see it. But I, you know, I can ask the inverse of it now. Imagine what that would have looked like in the multicam. It would have been goofy. It would have been like he punched a wall and like it bounced back and hit him in the forehead. Or he would have like shook his fist and been like, ow, and made some goofy, silly face or something. Right. right. It would have made like the Wade Boggs card fall on his head or something. Like, yes, yeah, yes. Exactly. Some sort of Rube Goldberg, you know, effect of things falling down. <laughs> We haven't gotten that on the laugh track. So. Yep, exactly. And that would have prompted us, all of us to be like, oh, this isn't that bad. It's not that bad. Between the lamplight and the, which they're using as, as the predominant lighting here and the beard, it is so sinister. But a lot of the credit has to go to Eric here for the acting choice because he brings his voice down and keeps it so calm and so measured. The accent backs off a bit and you're getting a little bit more of actually Eric's like regular speaking voice, which delivered this way is much more sinister sounding than when with the with the Boston accent. It's really fucking effective. It's the the use of cursing. I mean, we've heard Allison curse. We've heard Patty curse. We've heard Neil curse. Now, it's the first time we're hearing Kevin curse. And he's saying it with, like, malice and poison and vitriol on his tongue when he's saying it. it it's all whips, man. It's all, like, whips across the chest. It's It hits. It hits. He does Sinister really, really fucking well. I think everyone is on their game here. But I love that Allison doesn't flinch. She doesn't back down. It... You know it would be so easy for her or any person in this situation to take a step back, to back up off of the scene. And she says, do your worst to me. I was ecstatic to actually get to see the yeah. real deal, what we really, really thought was happening. Well, that's my question for you. Was this confrontation cathartic for you? Was it everything you had hoped or wanted it to be? Yes, it was. I mean, I this is what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the true version of him because I believe this is what is, goes on in their house when Pete and, and Neil and Patty aren't in the room. I think this is what it's like all the time for her. And, you know, I saw some people ask questions, um, you know, in many chat rooms and that type of thing where it's like, you know, did she create the sitcom world to 
cope was this like she was just trying to kind of play the part like like if you remember at the very beginning again watching back to the pilot when she kind of did that sort of donna reed type standing beside him and he was sitting down and yeah she yeah the 1950s kind of esque yeah mm-hmm, and she would act it out like in a certain way right and right. as time went through that pilot it would get it was deteriorating more and more and more until she ultimately you know plunges the, the glass in his neck so there were so many parts to this that like we needed to see exactly the nitty gritty of it all. And I, I give so much credit to the lighting crew for them creating this atmosphere. It, it reminded me, do you know that exercise where um, they do this with film students all the time where you take the same scene and you put different types of music behind it? Mm-hmm. And it like it could be a horror scene, but then they play like calliope music over it and then it seems silly. Yeah. The lighting here, I mean, for 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 those of you guys who maybe don't take the extra time to sort of be like, you know, hey, what what made that movie so impactful to me? Things like the set decor, things like the way that they made things so dingy, the lighting was just so perfect. Everything about it just loomed so large, you know, it made him seem so much more menacing than, of course, any of us had ever seen him. But I just I give them so much credit for figuring out a way to do this story and show how truly people look different in different lights. And so don't assume that because you've seen them in one light, literally, that you know what they're like in another light. And and for this show to be able to do that for us, I just hope it like cracks doors open for people. I hope it makes them like, like you know, scratch their head, maybe believe someone who maybe they were unsure about if they were really, you know, is this person really that bad when no one's around? Well, Let's look. Let's do a little exercise and see what could that person be like when things are in different circumstances, you know? It I think it's amazing and and a huge like eye opener for audiences to just appreciate the actual techniques of how, you know, stories are told and how you can change characters like that. This show is a masterclass in not only narrative storytelling, but I think it's a good, important life lesson show, too, because we all know people in these situations. And I, guys, you probably have been in this situation or a version of it and maybe didn't realize it. I, over the course of someone's life, through good relationships and bad relationships, bad things happen. And I don't think we always realize it or rather maybe we don't always admit it to ourselves or we don't want to admit it to ourselves when bad things are happening. If this show has any lasting legacy, I want it to be conversations being had, friends being honest with their friends and giving them those hard truths that maybe they don't want to hear and also doing self-introspection about how you are in your relationships, making sure you're not being the Kevin, but also if you are being abused by one, recognizing it and and realizing it's not your fault. It's not your shame. This is someone doing this to you for so long. This was someone doing this to Allison. And here, finally, after all, after literally dying and coming back, only now does she have the strength to do it. But if this show can have any legacy, is that maybe that route can be a little bit quicker. Because, yes, this is a fictional character, but there is a roadmap here. There is a guide. There is a path to these conversations and to these topics. 
this is such a good scene of television. I, I don't know how much better television can get than what they do here in this couple minutes scene between these two. I give Annie Murphy and Eric Peterson a lot of credit. Um, this could not have been fun to shoot. You know, just emotionally could not have been a lot of fun to shoot. Uh, it, it's emotionally ringing watching it. I applaud this whole scene of television and watching him descend into true madness, setting everything on fire, her coat, the multicolored coat, the bag, her passport. Allison has a passport. Uh, That's crazy that she has a passport. She wanted to go to Paris. Right. She wanted to go to Paris, which which he mentions in this episode again. And we hadn't really heard that since the first or second episode of the series. It was, that's why, again, it was so important to go back and watch the pilot, you guys. I really encourage you guys go watch the pilot and watch the finale again. Really cool callbacks in terms of like reminding you of who she was when we started to see that growth. I mean, I'm super glad Mike and I did that because it was like, holy cow, is she like a completely different person? And she has grown and changed in so many different ways that actually feel attainable for people. Like, I, and I know that sounds crazy because in a lot of ways, this show has some wild outlandish storylines you know like how many people are going to go do coke with like the mechanic right probably not you know probably you're not going to take your friend and go to vermont and end up in some sort of drug pit kind of situation right there's a lot of situations that's probably not going to happen but when you like look at all the different things that she tried i think that there's like hope in that right like she didn't give up she tried all these things no matter how wild and crazy it all seemed to try only to come back to the realization of the thing that was the most difficult to do was not to have all those wild adventures, but it was to just stand in front of him and stand your ground and say, I want a divorce. Like that of anything turned out to be the quote, like craziest thing she could do because it was the most difficult. It was the and most difficult. That's amazing. Hello. She met with Nick. You know, she she hired a killer. She did all these things that most people would say, that's so like unrealistic. People aren't going to go do that. That's wild. And yet, like, the thing that's felt the the most out there was her simply standing her own ground. That's crazy, right? It is, but it's also real. How many people? It is. How many people don't? How many times do you and I see the comment on social media? Why doesn't she just get a divorce? This, this is why it's not easy to get a divorce. This fucking psychopath. He burnt her passport. I mean, we thought it was crazy when he called the cops on her and had her arrested for stealing the car. He is. I don't know if you guys have gotten passports. It's not like you just go put a stamp on something. Like you gotta go. You gotta go to like uh, the office. Like you gotta make appointments. You gotta pay a lot of money to get your passport. It's not a simple thing. And the metaphor of burning the passport, the ultimate denial of travel and mobility, the power flex he's trying to do here, is huge. You can't get into Canada without your passport right now, you know? That's why she can't get a a divorce so easily. That's why it took her all of these trials and tribulations and setbacks and adversity to get to this point where she finally can say, I want a divorce. Because it's not fucking easy. It's not. It's just not. We went through it here. We went through it, Mike. We we went through it. it. I I feel like... 
this has been one of those shows that was such a unique premise. And I think I will probably explain it differently as, as I move forward with people who say like, Hey, what's like a good show that maybe, you know, is like a little bit off the beaten path that people maybe don't see every day. And I'd be like, you've got to check this one out because it really is like a thought provoking look into relationships of all different kinds, parents, kids, friendships. There's marriages, there's all kinds of things that are going on here that I think would make anyone stop and be like, oh my God, you know, what, what part do I play? Where do I fit in here? You and I worked hard as to like figure out like, where, where do I fit into this storyline? You know, where, where am I? There's very few shows that I actually feel that close to that I feel like I can say like, wow, I really I learned a lot. I would I feel somewhat like emboldened to be able to like go to a friend and be like, hey, you know, if you need help, I'll help you because of this show. And that's pretty amazing. Every now and then a show comes along and leaves a mark on me. I watch a lot of television. I love a lot of television. I rewatch a lot of television. There's a lot of comfort food out there. But a lot of shows, maybe the majority of shows I watch kind of come and they go. They they stay a while, but they don't leave like a mark on me. They don't change me. They don't, they don't challenge us. They don't challenge you. They don't. They just. They're just yummy calories. You you enjoy it while you're there, and then you don't think about it again. This is not that show. This is a show I, I, that has changed me. It will it will change how I watch sitcoms. It will change how I go back and watch old sitcoms that I grew up loving. It will change how I interact with people in real life and not on television. You know, I, I, I'm a podcaster, though I play one on television. It's a show that changes you. You have to let it in, though. You have to let it in in order to germinate and digest and, and then be able to have the conversations and, and look at things the way the show is asking you to look at them and think about them. I am thankful that we got the experience to talk about the show and spend so much time with you guys talking about this show. I remember when I first heard about the show and I said, Caroline, we have to cover the show. It has a curse word in the title and that amused me <laughs> and it just sounded so unique. And that was before we really knew any details about it though. But once we saw the pilot on screeners, I, I, I was like, we had this show is a show that people have to talk about. Even if it doesn't get widely seen, it's a show that's going to matter. And it, it's a show that is going to, is going to be a conversation that we need to have and that I wanted to have. And that I wanted to have with you and I wanted to have with everyone listening. And for that, I'm forever grateful and I'm forever thankful. It's been a, a great two years talking about this show and, and getting to talk to Valerie and Anna and Eric twice and and Alex and and Brian Howe, um, Alex Bonifer and Brian Howe. I'm, I'm sad that we never got to talk to Mary Hollis. I'm sad we never got to talk to Annie, but we got to talk to so many of the other people that made the show and brought the show to life that I'm very grateful uh, and thankful for. And it's, you know, one of the things I love about doing this job. I love doing podcast is that you get to deep dive into these shows that maybe will change your life will maybe change someone else's life and maybe the way we cover it will actually have an effect on someone that's that's an honor and a privilege for me and i'm uh, i'm thankful to all you guys for listening and letting us in well thank you so much mike this has been an amazing podcast to do with you and i'm super excited that we have more podcasts to come we've got 1923 coming out soon we've got your honor second season super excited to do that so you guys head over to pod clubhouse please and check out some of our other work because we definitely are going to have ongoing conversations that uh that'll that'll make you scratch your head and make you think and, and hopefully get you a chance to see some things in the show that you hadn't seen before so this is caroline 
And for one final time, this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series Kevin Can Fuck Himself. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe to this show and to all of the Pod Clubhouse podcasts. We put out so much great content that we would love for you to listen to. We would really appreciate it there. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review... We would appreciate it because it does help visibility of the show. It does get this into more people's ear holes and get to have this conversation with more and more people. And maybe we can make a movement if we can just get a few more people listening and they can get a few more people listening. And then soon everyone's listening and everyone's talking about it. And I think we'd all be better off for that. So, hey, I want to leave you guys with one final thought. If you want your soul set free, Lift your voice and sing with me. If the devil grabs your hand, here's one thing that he can't stand. Shout, sister, shout, sister, shout. Oh, Lord, shout. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.